Ready? All right, Jesse, take us away. All right. Hey, welcome. You're back with... Uh... Fuck, I'm already ruining it. You're back with... Start over. <laughs> you chose the wrong person. Hey, welcome to Real Professionals. We're a podcast with real professionals sometimes. Uh, I'm Jesse. I'm Christine. I'm Ted. I'm Remy. And we're going to talk about video games for a bit. So, are we going to talk about what we've been playing first? Or maybe skip that part? (laughs) (laughs) Don't skip that shit, dude. We have better things to do. on the agenda for today oh um first off uh hello everyone welcome back to uh real professional yeah uh, we're gonna skip the uh talk about what we've been playing this week because uh, i don't think anyone could stand another uh, 25 minute rant on anime this uh this <laughs> week. i'm gonna spare everyone that um also uh that would be a short conversation from my end because i've been in la um which is, uh, in in my opinion, the worst city uh, on the planet is L.A. This morning I was trying to get uh, caffeine and donuts to prepare myself for this podcast. And I put it into my phone. I was like, donuts. And I was like, did you mean phonuts, the fake donuts for vegans? And I was like, I most certainly did not Los Angeles. That is not what I was looking for this morning. Disgusting. And um, That sounds about right. I had to go to two different donut spots to try to find donuts. The first one it led me to was in a farmer's market. Now, I guess farmer's markets are a little bit different in L.A. In, uh, in the rest of the world, it's like something that pops up on a weekend. You go to, it's up for like four hours. You get some uh, specialty romaine or whatever. Here there is a farmer's market with like metered parking and like a, it's like a, like a, like an establishment. Yeah, it's the farmer's market. The, yeah, the farmer's market is like a, is like a consistent thing here um but i was not going to pay for parking to go to the farmer's market which you you have to do because this is la and i don't think there's any free parking my uh my metric for telling whether or not a city is dystopian is whether or not it's more than 50 percent parking lot so la dystopian phoenix dystopian like la is is one of the most like it's 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 great because if you want to find like you can find there's literally like a, a public park on top of a furniture store two blocks from where I'm staying, and that and that's fucking awesome. And then like six blocks from it is a gelato shop that sells like six different gelatos, and it's in like it's just one counter, and the rest of the establishment is the size of like a warehouse. It's like just it's just nonsense. And I was I was thinking about like what makes LA, LA. And if, if anyone out there has any allusions to the glitz and glam and the glory of L.A. and Hollywood, uh, let me dispel that for you. Because um, I, I just realized that this is like just an entire city of just idiots. Like everyone here, like you will have a conversation with someone and he's like, yeah, you know, when my dad made me get out of the, you know, carnival game curating business at the tender age of 36, <laughs> I thought that, you know, everyone in business was just, 
was just friendly and natural. Everyone had each other's best interests in mind. And this is like 90% of the city is like people coming here thinking that their dreams are like just going to work out. And 10% people that are like, no, 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 we're just going to like trap and exploit these people. That's why like the roads don't make any sense is because like their idea is like once you get here, you can't escape or you can't like find your way out. And that's and that's how they get you. You're you're it's in a, the mountains of madness, but it's a one flat plane, and it's all like one story tall buildings. <laughs> and instead of peng- is, and instead of penguins, it's morons. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, and also, it can't really be overstated how massive LA is. Like, it's truly mind boggling. It's the size of Rhode Island. Like, there's just so many people there. It, it's just a miserable place. Yeah, I always tell people when they're coming for uh, like E3 or um, any of the other conventions that are held in like the Staples Center that LA is also like one. Like, if, if you don't believe that it's this is a city of entirely idiots, just look at like the city planning and like the mapping and stuff because you'll you'll be in downtown LA. You'll go from Staples Center, which is like nice and this like super ritzy area to like this like high-end luxury apartments and the next block will be like drug dealers like playing dice on the street like it's seriously like block by block you will get into the shittiest parts of town you've ever seen like you can take a wrong turn and all of a sudden the street's just full of pregnant pit bulls it's like it's it's and that's la and that's just sounds kind of, cute oh i'd like to live there instead of right yeah anyways uh so that's where i've been the last uh few days just experiencing that and, uh, Remy, do you have anything to add about the glory of your great city? You should have asked me. I could have told you SK Donuts is a great place to get some donuts in Los Angeles. You can go there and, and get one of their croissant donuts, uh, trademarked for the asshole in New York who doesn't let people <laughs> use that name. <laughs> yeah, because Cronuts is copyrighted, correct? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, it's true. We do have nothing but single family homes everywhere. Uh, you can. Thank the asshole who keeps on putting rent control on the ballot for that and his scam bullshit to stop development. Yeah, so I was, I was just driving. Yeah, we were talking about stopping development. Um, there's this like joke that all Hollywood movies are endless trash, and it's like, but once you get here, it's and you're not in a joke. It's a serious. Yeah, it's not a joke. But you get here and you're like, oh, this is this endless trash. This constant repetition of the same idea with like very minor variations. Is just like a, a, a broader representation of Los Angeles. I was driving down Melrose and it was like 17 million varieties of like these like art, artisanal boutique shops, all just like trying to make it in like the greater miasma that is this this mosaic of of failed ideas from people with like more money than sense who have enough financial backing to like never have to deal with the consequences of their shitty idea bankrupting them and. Uh, like it's like I was I was I was joking last night with some some people that were at a bar and I was like, yeah, this place is um, my my, my feeling on it is that it is it's like a wretched hive of scum and villainy, and they're like, oh, we're going to scum and villainy, like on Monday. There's a bar in L.A. called oh, Scum and Villainy, yeah. and it's a it's Star Wars themed gaming bar. So I don't know. It's actually pretty chill. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm, I went last week. It was it was you know. It's a one-room bar. That's about all there is. Oh. I don't know if I'm cool enough to, like, live here, though. So. Yeah, tune me for the continuing adventures of Ted in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm, I'm not cool enough to live here. I assure you that on this block alone, probably there are more podcasters than all of Arizona. <laughs> 
Remy and I have known each other for a long time. We have very different standards based on where we have grown up. And I was, I was thinking about this on my drive home from the donut shop that I finally found uh, that was not selling vegan donuts. And I was like, God, I just, I'm not really an L.A. guy. And it, it brought me back to once in college, Remy had come back from uh, a trip where he got donuts from a place called Voodoo Donuts. Right. Which is where? Where is that? The wonderful Los Angeles-based city of Portland, Oregon. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not saying it's L.A. I'm saying he got Voodoo Donuts, and they had these like really fancy like bacon donuts and stuff. And anyways, uh, I, I come home one day, and in the apartment there's like there's ants, and there's some ants in the donuts, and I, I brush them off, and I'm like, oh well, you know, I don't know if Remy's gonna want to eat ants donuts, and he's like, all right, I'm gonna have to throw these out. And I was like, how do I tell him that I'll eat ants? Like I'll <laughs> eat these donuts still. <laughs> It's extra and, uh, protein, man. You want to get swole or not? Yeah, and it's just, you know, there's there's the difference between the guy that's like, ah, oh, my, my premium donuts have ants on them. I'm not going to eat them, which I think is the correct response. And me, which is like, I'll eat ants. These are pretty dope. They got bacon on them. Like, I'm, I'm not donut. saying Los Angeles is not without its, its problems and that there aren't people <laughs> here that might fit the L.A. stereotype. But I think that nobody should be going up. Posh L.A. people <laughs> throwing away ants. perfectly good ant donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, di different different cultures here. Anyways, I found what I wanted to talk about today, guys. Um, so originally, I wanted us to talk about microtransactions because of the new uh, Ghost Recon game, Ghost Recon Breaking Point. Did everyone know that there was a new Ghost Recon game? Yep. I mean, I always just assume there's one like three weeks away at any given time. I'm never going to play them. Yeah, this is what um, Ubisoft is pushing this year instead of Assassin's Creed because there's no Assassin's Creed this year. Um, this one's got Joe Bernthal in it or something. The Punisher's in it. I don't know. Um, apparently, there's a billion microtransactions because it's a single-player game, and they can. So you can buy guns. You can buy skill points. You can buy currency, all that kind of stuff. But um, So it's pay to win? Well, yeah, but it's a PVE game, so it's like, you know, you can, you can, if you want, you can spend your millions of dollars to, it's like a mobile game. It's like, you're not really playing against anyone, really. Is it more sad and pathetic to pay a lot of money so that you'll unfairly win a multiplayer game, or pay a lot of money so you'll unfairly win a single player game? Yeah, so... I think first we need to ask how sad and pathetic it is to play video games, period. When the answer <laughs> yeah. is very... So what they're calling them are catch-up mechanics. And essentially that they're saying is that if you want to pay to not have to play the game to grind the stuff, you can do that. And I don't know, it's, it's something that I'm kind of like on the fence about because of it influences your design mechanic that you're making the game like unnecessarily long and grindy so people have to buy these things. Then that's that's shitty. But at the same time, like if you're if you have the option and you're a developer of being like, look, it's going to take you 20 hours to beat this game, or you could spend $50 on what essentially 10 years ago would have been the equivalent of the Konami code to just get to the last boss, fucking have at it. And if an idiot wants to give you $50 for it, I don't know. I have a hard time, like, as long as it's not influencing your overall game design, which, I mean, of course it will. This is it, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Games are designed to have microtransactions in mind. In fact, old games are sometimes retrofitted to have these. Mm -hmm. If you guys remember, there was a Mega Man X that was ported to mobile. 
and uh, there was a microtransaction you can have for the game. Hey, do you want to have like the uh, boss upgrades without having to beat the bosses? You can do that for 99 cents. <laughs> oh, do you want the uh, the extra energy tanks? You can get each one of those for 99 cents. And if you want the power-ups, you can get those 99 cents. Oh, yeah, like, games are always built to have microtransactions. I mean, like, old arcade games are just microtransaction machines. That is true. That but is that true. But that predates, uh, like... You know, technology to have multiple games. You know that that was in like the the seventies and eighties when it wasn't feasible to have a console in your house. I mean, we've moved past that. Like, it's not yeah, about. Yeah, but we have consoles in our houses, and people are willing to pay to have Michael Jackson or Jordan or someone on their team for NBA Two K Twenty Twenty Four or whatever the fuck one is out. Uh, man, and Michael Jackson was a great player. I'm sure. Yeah, he uh, moonwalked all across the, the stage. <laughs> But but the fact that, you know, you are designing a game to incentivize this, and I think someone did the math for, I think it was one of the previous NBA 2K whatevers, that in order to have any, like, semblance of beating the campaign without having to grind, you'd have to play the game eight hours a day for two years in order to have stats equivalent of the thing that you would need to, like, win. Mm -hmm. uh, or you could pay exorbitant amounts of money for all of the things that you need for it. And people raked it over the coals, and they bought it anyway, and I'm sure it was profitable. <laughs> but, yes, that's, that's where a lot of developers are pushed to go. See, it's, it's always difficult, because if you're, if you're a big um, AAA studio, and you're, putting, and you're choosing to put microtransactions in your game, then I think that's kind of ridiculous. Because, you know, the market right now, there's so many free-to-play games that it's really hard for these smaller studios to compete. Um, so I think in order for them to for the smaller studios to compete, they have to do microtransactions. So it's kind of, it's, it's like you were saying, or, or like Remy was saying, with, uh, it's, it's just a reflection in the market. The indie studios won't be able to keep up unless they do what the big studios are doing. So I think it's it's really a reflection of the, these big studios really have to cut that out. I think that indie developers are pushed towards a microtransaction model just because that is the model that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, uh, you're not going to get funding unless you have a mobile free-to-play with uh, in-app purchases. No one in any festival who is looking to fund projects gives a shit about your old-school LucasArts adventure game based off of a dream and your first relationship with the one true girl you loved. Nobody wants to help you finish that. But if you have a ready-to-release game that is free-to-play, that has in-app purchases, that is on all cell phones, then you're going to get investment funding. So you're going to be more inclined to make that because that's where people want to put money. As well, if you do go to a lot of like indie festivals, you do run into a lot of people who are just making that because they know that if they make a match three Clash of Clans, Clash Royale copy, that they will make a lot of money just by doing that. Yeah, they're competing against everyone else, but they're, they're trying to do that. It's not so much that games with microtransactions are pushing that out. If you really want to talk about what is, you know, killing a lot of indie developers, you got to talk about games as service models because no little studio is able to compete against that. When you have so much content being thrown at a game updated weekly that skews everyone's perspective about development times to the point where you go up to any small game run by a sub four person studio and you have people angrily messaging them going, it's been a week, why isn't there no content update for the game? What the fuck, dude? I could be playing some other AAA studio game 
that has a lot of content being thrown at it, then yeah, that's the thing where people are being edged out and squeezed out. Yeah. Speaking of dystopian hell worlds in which we live, I, I finally found the thing. So, anyways, my, my point was that I did not want to talk about microtransactions, but we did. So, you know, that's the quality content you can come to expect from real professional. Um, what I wanted to talk about, so last night, I was tossing and turning in my bed, unable to sleep, uh, because the I, I felt the changes happening within in me. I, 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 was, I, was, I was craving vegan donuts at... 3 a.m. You were bitten by a radioactive hipster. And, I was uh, bitten by a radioactive hipster, yes. And um, I, I talked to my, my good friend Barbara, uh, Bloober team in Poland, and she's, she sent me something that I, I figured we must speak about. Has anyone heard of this Feast of Legends? No. No. Ah, fantastic. Feast of Legends is a new tabletop RPG, Dungeons & Dragons style. And, oh, uh, is this the Wendy's thing? Sh- shut up! Sorry. You're, you're, spoiler alert, bro. Let me Sorry. let me intro to you to this world before Christine spoils everything. Sorry, I get excited. <laughs> you are adventurers in the realm of Beef's Keep, where the nations have been splintered over major disagreements in how to treat the realm's people. Creeping Vale and the United Clown Nations have led their people into a collective darkness known hey. as the Deep. One second. Uh, Siri, where can I get a cheap euthanasia at this hour? (laughs) Uh, Well, the world currently feels like a cold and desolate place. You reside in the one nation that remains a true beacon of hope. Freshtovia. Freshtovia is known for its lush fields, signature dishes, and red-headed queen, Queen Wendy. Fresh, never-frozen quests. Jesse, if you wanted to kill yourself, just wait. Like, it'll happen. Will do. As Queen of Freshtovia, Wendy has clapped back at all attackers on her borders. Oh, Jesus Christ. She's strong and has maintained her nation's integrity, despite the growing pressure of other nations. Uh, this is, they, they usually, they literally use the term clapbacks in there uh, to, of course, reference Wendy's very dope and, and not at all uh, cynical marketing campaign where Wendy's is trying to be a person. I don't know if you know this, but if you're on Wendy's Twitter, it's like, I get sad sometimes, too. It's like, you're a brand, not a person. Come on. Yeah, that's done by some, you know, that, and all those, like, tweets are done by some, like, intern who's chained up in the dungeon and is paid, like, 25 cents an hour. You know, I can't take any of their, like, trying to be human seriously when they don't even treat their own employees human. Well, that's the thing, is that, uh, you know, this, I, this is a 97-page booklet on the Wendy's RPG in case you thought this was a joke. It's not. Uh, but there are different orders, so you have to pick your class based on the order. Um, you could be part of the Order of Chicken. That is the art of the chicken. They are basically the mages, so you could be you know part of the Order of the Crispy Chicken Sandwich or the Order of the Homestyle Chicken Sandwich. Um, or you could be like a rogue type of the Order of the Chicken Nuggets. They have stealth bonuses. Um... Then there's the Order of Beef, which has all of their various different sandwich options. Uh, You know, in case you want to be a a level 5 Order of the Double Stack, or um, a level level 4 Order of the Bacon Junior junior Bacon Cheeseburger. And then uh, they have the Order of the Sides, which are kind of your multi-classers, your druids, etc. With the Order of the Baconator Fries, and uh, the Order of the, uh, the Baked Potato. I just can't. I, I just really feel bad for the guy that like came up with this funny idea, and he's like, "What if we make an RPG based on Wendy's?" 
And then some guy in a marketing hat was like, <laughs> marketing hat. <laughs> you got to have the whole menu on there. And so he's like trying to come up with like uh, order of the baked potato. Like he has a, there's an order of the baked potato. Uh, for those who have studied the order of the French fries, those in the order of the baked potato are more in tune with the world around them. So they're like druids to the fries mage, I guess. Well, you know, wisdom know. versus intelligence. I don't think this is some poor sap who was forced to make a tabletop RPG rule set for Wendy's. I'm pretty sure this guy got paid. No, no, he got paid for sure. I mean, this is this is a marketing stunt. So I, I actually was like, this is, th and then there, there's like 60 pages on the world of the different areas and like the, the the quest that you'll go through. There's like a monster glossary. The last enemy is the icy clown, um, the icy jester. For of course, <laughs> the joke that McDonald's freezes their beef <laughs> in case you missed it. Oh damn! Yeah, uh, there we go. It's a real joker there's movie. What? I said, there's that clap back. Yeah, the epic Wendy's clapback is the, the wit. But here's the part of the game that, like, frankly disgusts me. So there are buffs in the game. As, uh, and it says uh, to the buff section, as you probably discerned, food is a major aspect of Feast of Legends. By the way, the game can't figure out if it's, like, an RPG or, like, a, a food-eating simulator. Because if you go to, like, all the weapons are, like, forks and knives. But then if you go to the description of the uh, order of beef, it's all, like, warriors with maces and stuff. And I'm like, come on, get your... Get your thematic world building correct, okay? Anyways, uh, as such, what you're eating in the real world will create direct buffs that affect your character in the game. Each of these buffs will go into effect for the duration of the play for the day, uh, so you might want to swing by your local Wendy's. Anyways. God, imagine, like, microtransactions, but you got to eat them every time. Yes, so you get plus one strength for any cheeseburger, plus one arcana for any chicken item, Plus one charm for a frosty, plus one intelligence for the French fries, plus one grace for any beverage item, and plus one defense for any salad. If you add them all together, you get the uh, diabetes. Diabetes. Um, but you also get debuffs if you eat at other restaurants. So if you eat from a frozen burger joint, you get plus one all to all of your ice damage for the rest of the day. Uh, pizza gives you a minus two for charm, which is true. Uh, Subway sandwiches give you a minus two for strength, which is a weird decision there. Uh, gas station food gives you minus two intelligence. Once again, I actually agree with some of these. Fried chicken gives you minus one to your defense. Tacos give you minus two to your uh, arcana. And then snackies, you know, chips and stuff. It says that in the parentheses, you know, chips and stuff. Minus two modifier for your grace for the rest of the day. So, you know, if you're a real gamer and you're min-maxing, you will, of course, be eating all of these items every time you play to gain the maximum statistical advantage. Uh, and I just, I find this to be uh, kind, kind of, uh, kind of, kind of... Disgusting? You know, talking, yeah. I don't want to say, it's it's like, it's sending the wrong message, message if you want to have to eat six Wendy's items a day to get your maximum buff stats. That is the ultimate microtransaction. And then the idea that after that, you're going to go to another place and get like, you know, you got to make sure you don't go to, you know, after eating these six buffs, you got, you got to make sure you don't go to like fucking Burger King and get a frozen burger and lose that strength buff. Like yeah. how, oh, this makes me sad. It's just, uh, how, how dangerous are, do you guys consider this this 
tabletop RPG rule set. Like, are we going to see a tick up in the epidemic of, of childhood obesity? Of childhood obesity of because, RPG? like, we're going to find some, you know, small obese child having an, uh, a, a seizure because he's tried to stuff eight burgers down his gullet. No. And on his cell phone is going to be the rule set of this, this menu item. Obviously ah, not. Like this is a fucking joke. Like, this is no, just no, no, like no, one piece mm-hmm. on like a, you know, 10 mile high mountain of ad campaigns to make, you know, eating this garbage part of your daily life. And it really shouldn't be. This is like... Well, then then don't eat it. <laughs> no, no, I actually... I, 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 just, I, I really disagree with this because I think that marketing in our current age has become very, very insidiously directed towards... Exactly. Like, Burger King had those Xbox games that they came out with, the Sneak King and the Race King. Classic. Sure. Yeah, those classic Burger King Xbox games. Uh, it's like, I, I think that there's a lot of people out there that will go to those establishments specifically for that kind of food. And when you're young and you're dumb and you can't make, like, your brain hasn't developed to realize that there's long-term consequences to your dietary habits. I mean, th- this, these are the people, like, there's a reason we don't advertise cigarettes to people under 18. And, like, we really shouldn't. Like, we really shouldn't be advertising candy cane baby pots. Like, that's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, I and I, I understand consumer freedom, but at the same time, like, I don't think that anyone under the age of 18 is, like, a real person yet. Uh, so, like, it's the Happy Meal argument. Don't 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 sell Happy Meals or have, like, play, play centers for, you know, uh, McDonald's or Burger King joints. No yes. Ball pit. Yeah, exactly. Don't, yeah. don't do I that don't shit. Is is a ball pit for kids to play while you get like an unhealthy burger and shitty pair of fries? You know, it's it's not like I think the the problem. You just educate parents to you know feed their kids better, uh, or if there's going to be a demand for healthier options, they'll buy a salad or something like that. I don't think that it is 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 the thing that's destroying all of civilization. I don't think anyone's ever bought a salad from McDonald's. I mean, like I know they have them, but no one ever buys them. Sure. And I, I don't I don't think it's destroying all of civilization. That's not what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying is that when you look at like the Wendy's marketing campaign, these so K, KFC had the uh, the Colonel Sanders dating simulator. Sure. I, I didn't hear about it, but I believe it. Yeah, I don't know much about it because I don't really play dating simulators allegedly. But uh, the like we and I, I get it. Creative marketing is fun and it's funny, but. There is like a more insidious side to brands trying to be quote unquote relatable where people like, especially like we do, we have people that are like, think they're best friends with their favorite like Instagrammer. And like it's double dystopic if you think your best friend is the epic clapbacks from Wendy's bro. Like, oh, I really feel this, this personal relationship with fucking Wendy's. Like, in, in, this is the thing is like like the, we we as people who like didn't like I wasn't when I was in my most impressionable age of like 12 13 14 like Twitter didn't exist so like the long-term impacts of these marketing campaigns won't be seen till later but like I still remember the stupid like cock rock for the fucking BK chicken fries and I definitely ate them because of that and I probably have diabetes now and I only ate them once like 10 years ago but they're that bad for you and it's like I'm not trying to say people shouldn't be allowed to eat whatever the hell they want. I'm just saying that like blatant marketing stunts like this, we can't look at in the vacuum of that. They're not like, it's cute. I like 
creative marketing, but this is like basically exists to make poison more relatable to kids. There's a lot to unpack there. I look, video games are, as like design are becoming more of a marketable skill. It's going to be applied to everywhere. You've got plenty of match three games that are made to, you know, coincide with the launch of some film franchise. You got plenty of people having interactive websites for interior design or stock portfolio management or travel agencies. Uh, it's it's just another aspect of that that's on top of marketing. They got some weird memes and discords and reddits and all the other things I don't know because I'm on, not on social media for this Wendy's marketing campaign. <laughs> and they thought it would be marketable enough to make an RPG rule set out of it because people will retweet it. Uh, that's that's all. It's all just a marketing budget for a giant corporation. They're, they're, they're doing... If it wasn't this, then it would just be another commercial going the new charbroiled uh, triple stacker from Wendy's. And it's got like the beef that squishes into the bun with the cheese that melts at the right angle. And all that's plastic too. Like, but that's, that's they're marketing is. food in that. Yeah. They're like, here's the food that you eat. You are aware that this is not healthy, but we are trying to sell you food. They're not selling you the idea that Wendy's is like the cool place for like, you know, the, the edgy D&D gamers. But, but everywhere does that. You have a commercial and you see a guy, his marriage is on the rocks, right? His wife, you can see him in the other room, writing her half of the divorce papers. And he <laughs> comes back and he's got a bag of Wendy's and he puts it on the table and she smiles and, and she rips it up right in front of them. Eat at Wendy's, your marriage will be fixed. I would fucking love that commercial, by the way. But that's that's every fucking commercial. It's not just that, hey, we sell food item with this amount of calories, protein, fat, and carbohydrates. You can yeah. pay it for this amount of wage slave hours. It's it's always selling you more of an idea. Think of Starbucks. They don't just sell coffee. They sell an atmosphere. They sell a place. They sell a, an idea. And yeah. at what cost? I mean, there are no small coffee shops anymore. It's all just like this. Yes, there are. <laughs> small coffee shops in Phoenix, Arizona and in most of the rest of the you, world. You want to know my other passion in video games. I love coffee. I'll tell you right now, third wave coffee is a war zone. Yeah, Starbucks has a, a, a foot into it because they've got their own sort of like high-end trees that they're trying to like keep on. Their own blend of a, a really, really good uh, like coffee trees and they're trying to train all their baristas to do pour-overs, to do vacuum coffees, to do stuff like that. But it's because there are smaller shops who are rising up in, in the, the market and they're offering things like uh, organically sourced single origin beans. Jesse, you've awakened the LA Kraken. He's, 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 he's come to tell you about his preferences in pour over coffee. Look, I'm a, all I'm saying is this is not some sort of like my doom and gloom sort of cast down for anyone who's uh, doing anything else. We have independent coffee shops. We have independent games. Because Wendy's made a D&D &D rule set for burgers does not mean that, you know, uh, Edmund McMillan throws his hands in the air and goes, Oh, fuck it! <laughs> Binding of Isaac 2 will never work now! This is not enough of a demographic for me! Fuck you, Wendy's! <laughs> Look, obviously... Sing chicken sandwiches for stat bumps. <laughs> <laughs> Look, obviously... He's got a milkshake in one hand, and he's got a Steam account on his other. He's going, oh, I could buy this indie game, but 
in my I, food all budget. I'm, all I'm saying is that if the next Binding of Isaac game gives you plus 10 speed every time you have an abortion, then I'm going to say <laughs> I called it with the Wendy's game. That's what that game's about, right? It's about an aborted child. That's what Binding of Isaac is about. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm not making this up. I'm not just being edgy. Ed McMillan's the one being edgy. Thank you, Ed McMillan, for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Ed McMillan, and the people uh, over at uh, the, the, the studio that makes Super Meat Boy and shit. I believe that's EA. I believe it's Newgrounds.com. Newgrounds.com for all of your uh, Super Edgelord video game needs. You know, th- those people probably have a couple Wendy's video games on there, so <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> I, I yeah, I don't know. I've been I my my opinion on the Wendy's marketing campaign for this 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 game is obviously i don't think it's the fucking end of the world and obviously like i don't think it's like the worst thing to ever exist i think that there is a genuine uh uh, i i think that as marketers get more savvy the 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 questions will always arise of okay but like what are the repercussions of this savvier marketing campaign especially when your product like I mean, Wendy's is as bad for you as, like, if you eat Wendy's every day, it's as bad for you as smoking a pack of cigarettes every but, day. But anyone who works for that company does not look at the moral uh, repercussions of what they're doing. Any shareholder who comes in and says, do we really want to put a marketing budget into our, our company? Really think about the, the ramifications on society is going to get kicked out. They need to maximize profits. That's all they care about. And that's the problem. I mean... Look. Why is that a problem? Because it kills people. Yeah. Like, oh, this is not a company that's giving guns to kids. No. Burgers. It's giving diabetes to kids. It's giving lifelong oh, bad eating on. habits. I'm not saying that people of 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 a certain. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be allowed to do things. No, I am the LA elitist. <laughs> there isn't a Wendy's within 10 miles of here, okay? We're in West Hollywood right now, okay? If I want to get a burger, I have to go to the little 24-hour diner that's like kind of styled like a like a diner nearby, but the burgers are $25. And they cut and they're, and they're we got a I literally Remy and I went to a restaurant last night. I got a burger that was so small. We we like made jokes about it on the walk back. It was a very small burger. And especially because LA has such a wonderful burger culture here that I like you sell a burger and it's like it really should be called a slider. Like it was it was You're you're competing against In and Out as like the fast food option. When you can't beat In and Out, then you are struggling. Well, we all know who's bought off by the burger lobby over here. So now Remy's opinions on the, the grandness of Wendy's marketing campaign come. I'm sorry. We, everyone listening to the podcast needs to write their local representative to make sure that Wendy's does not sell burgers to D&D fans. <laughs> Remy, I, unironically, I do appreciate your commitment to capitalism and the free market. But... When I when I say that like there are you know obviously I was being hyperbolic when I said there are no more coffee shops obviously there are same with indie studios but when you have these massive corporations that are just absorbing all of the market there's no room for them to grow for the smaller well, there's ones no to room for them to grow <laughs> Dude, not in most of the world. Oh, come on. There was a million Starbuckses in L.A. And then all of a sudden, people who realized that you could sell coffee as an ingredient and not just coffee as a cafe that you go to to plug in your iPhone 
suddenly they, they get a big uh, uh, upswing, and you get Intelligentsia, you get Verve, you get all these third-wave coffee shops, and then they spring up, and they have good yes, ideas. Yes, and get... then the big boys, Starbucks and everything like that, they have to chase after them. And yeah, they've got a lot of market forces behind them, and they can buy a bunch of places in Ethiopia or South America where they sell, uh, sell really expensive coffee, and they can eat it up because they've got the brand behind them. But that's the same for the video game industry. Yeah, you have indie game people making games that people never took a chance on, and then all of a sudden, everyone's putting in some kind of Slay the Spire deck-building game in their AAA game. It's just people being inspired by things. I, I, I think that what you're talking about, though, with these all these coffee shops you're mentioning, and we're going to use coffee shops as like a larger uh, metaphor for the, the industry in general, is, is very isolated to to this this culture. I mean, look, it, it's kind of what I was talking with Aaron about when we interviewed her for Nevermind on episode three of Real Professional, available now on dreadxp.com. Check out our SoundCloud, like, and subscribe. But, like, you know, I, what I asked her was, look, you, you were going to IndieCade. You were going to these little uh, convention, these little indie game conventions, and people were saying, wow, this is so cool. How did you know that would translate over into larger success? And that's very true, is that, like, Look, you, you, and I are not most gamers. You know, like I, I, I do this for for work, and I see. So I'm way more inundated than the average guy. And when I go talk to the average guy about video game stuff, he doesn't care that a new Call of Duty. Oh yeah, man, new Call of Duty comes out every year. Still get them though. Like they don't. This is like the market in general is not a place where people really care about these these small boutique experiences outside of a and, and, and the, one, the good thing is about indie games as opposed to coffee shops is that the the marketplace for indie games is everyone that has an internet connection like you can buy indie games built made in Argentina. what was that Zeno clash we used to like Zeno Zeno the punchy game oh uh, I yeah, Zeno Clash. That was made by like seven people across the world. You know, a guy in Argentina, and that's that's really cool that like that that can exist. Whereas you know, like a coffee shop is only going to be for the people in that few few block radius. But still, it's like this this marketplace is far more niche than than the, like there's a reason we keep seeing Call of Duty. There's a reason we keep seeing Assassin's Creed. Sure, and because there's a demographic that wants it. But that's the thing is like that is most of the people. Most of the people right. watch football. Most of the people play Madden. Most of the people watch an Avengers movie, and yet indie films but, still get but made. But no, that's the thing is that you're saying that the market forces of these smaller indie companies force the larger companies' hand. They don't force them. If it, it, it yeah, it, it, it basically does. That's what you're saying is that you're saying that the, the these smaller, better, little independent ideas change the market with good ideas. Yes. But I don't think that that's... But that's just Red Queen theory. If someone else comes out with an idea, you have to but capture I, it as well, or else you will fall behind I don't think that's it. true. I think if you look at the prevalent market forces within gaming, it's ubiquitously microtransactions, loot boxes, etc. For large studios and plenty of industries. For every... Yes. But you're talking about, like, oh, Slay the Spire came out with this little mini card game thing, and now everyone does... I Like, The Witcher... Has a card game in it. Sure. Uh, World of Warcraft has a card game in it. Yeah. But these are games that have fucking everything in it. 
I mean, Call of Duty doesn't have a card game in it. Yeah. Like, the new Madden doesn't have a card game in it. These are just... Right, because the players who play those games also don't fit within the demographic line where they're also playing a card game like Hearthstone or a ripoff of that. But if they did, then yeah, there would be a Madden card game because they realized that they could capture more attention and more consumers by doing that. But yeah, I don't think that, like, but these indie games didn't create the idea, like Slay the Spire didn't create the idea of a, uh, of a deck building adventure game. I mean, those have been out for fucking ever. Like, those yeah, are, those it's not a new game. idea. It's just a reintroduction of the idea right. in a polished state with a different sort of like a marketing campaign. By the way, marketing is not a bad word either. Like, that's just getting people to know what the idea of the game is. No, and I don't, I don't think that marketing is like a bad word. What I'm saying is, is that like, if you're going to be talking about Call of Duty and how the newest Call of Duty is the most realistic depiction. So, okay, I watched the trade. I was at E3 when I got to see the first footage of the new Call of Duty. And let me tell you, the footage you see of Call of Duty at E3 is a, uh, an SAS team slowly creeping through a house, opening door after door, and firing off two rounds in the chest, one round in the head, and everyone in that uh, tenement building slowly creeping up. They're all terrorists. Don't worry, they're bad guys. But like that's that's how that's how like people are murdered in real life. That's how the government kills people in real life. And people are going, "Wow, it's so much more realistic this time around." And I'm thinking to myself, "Is that a good thing?" Like this is this like Call of Duty at a certain point we have to accept is like a recruitment tool for the U.S. fucking military. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, it is. It fucking is. And there's there's like there's there's like okay. Call of Duty sells insanely well in the United States because we have a hyper-militaristic culture. And I'm not saying that Call of Duty is created to recruit for the military. I don't think that's the reason why Call of Duty has... No, no, no. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that like, the military gives money to EA. No, they don't. Whoever the fuck makes it. But what I'm saying is that... But even if they did, I don't think that's the reason why it's popular. It's a reciprocal, it's a reciprocal relationship with the culture that we have, which is like U.S. in the United States is an incredibly militaristic culture in general. Like we, we just we just are like we everyone we have a very strong gun culture we have a very strong supporting the troops culture we have a very strong veteran culture say what you will about it I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing I'm just saying that this exists compared to other nations like it's 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 pretty well established sure, and common it, it that exists. someone there that grows up there are people up, who have that uh, mindset where they're big on guns they're big on military they're big on supporting the troops they're the kind of people who when they're on online games love spouting out phrases like keep your head on a swivel and watch all six points and they want to play a video game and so people make a video game called Call of Duty and they say okay you people you can play this and they say thank you for this I, I'm not saying that it's I, I'm not saying that military bad. I'm not saying they shouldn't have a video game for them. No, you're saying marketer bad. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is at a certain point, you have to think about the trends that you're seeing within marketing and thinking about what is this pushing and is that a good thing or a bad thing for society? Because I think that like there's a ton of things that people do and a ton of ways that societies are edged into certain behavior patterns that aren't healthy. And I think that uh, the fetishization that we have of our military and how it's it's honorable for an 18 year old just graduated from high school in the Midwest to sign up, go to Iraq, die a hero, be be lauded in his hometown. I, I think that that's 
that's that's fucking tragic. I don't know. What, you know, what's, you know what's the solution to this then? Do we need labels on video games like you got on cigarette packages? If you can say that it is like a harmful thing, then then what's the solution? Because I'll show you right now. Shareholders, stockholders, they're not the ones who are going to be clamoring for change within a company because they'll be replaced within a moment if they say we need to sacrifice yeah, gross right. profits in order to think about the kids. I'm not saying that the solution is to put labels on Call of Duty saying this warning this game has guns and guns are actually bad. Then should the government uh, censor? No, 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 I'm not saying that the government should censor either, but what I'm saying is that if we don't have these conversations at least, it's, and I, I hate being the guy that's like, well, the conversation's the important part, because that's just like way more than Remy's rant on coffee. That's like the most LA thing I can say is that the conversation is the most important thing. But uh, I, I will say is that like, to not have these conversations is is incredibly dangerous because like we, we need to be aware of of the reality of the marketing situation that we live in and the implications of that. And I mean going back to like the, the Wendy's the Wendy's RPG, it's like I'm not mad that a Wendy's RPG exists. I think it's cute and it's funny. I think the Colonel Sanders dating sim is cute and funny. What I'm worried about is, like, is this step one of a longer-term marketing goal for Wendy's like, to package a, a number of things in this culture with Wendy's food, which is like, I, I don't know, I, I just... It, 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 no, I'll tell you, it's going to go beyond that. Everything is going to be a game. Even commercials. Yeah. Commercials will turn into games. You want to know why? Because game developers want to be paid and no one is buying their games so they're going to sell their talents which is designing games to anyone and everyone who wants to purchase them so that when wendy's or starbucks or independent coffee shop number 147 down the block of my house wants to advertise themselves they'll go to a game developer and say could you please make us a game and they'll say yes because they're getting lunch money from that. <laughs> this is also depressing. <laughs> if you and if you want to market your game as a VR experience, contact Remy Carnes at remy.carnes at gmail.com. Absolutely. He will 100% make a VR experience for your boutique coffee shop. We'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. My rates are very reasonable. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about the kids either. <laughs> I will make sure instead of spending money for their college education or life-saving insulin, they will buy your product. You can have microtransactions to watch different brews roast. I, I, I assure you that during our conversation, I will never interrupt and say, can we think about the societal cost for a moment? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just the one with the soul over here. Anyways. What does the other side of, of the peanut gallery over here think of the... Uh, the yeah, stop here? being quiet! Yeah, be louder, guys. I'm just... There was a lot of yelling going on, and I... I there, was know. <laughs> there was a fine amount of yelling, is what he said. Oh, a finite. Okay. I no, fine. Like, an acceptable amount of yelling. Anyways, what were you saying? I mean... I coming so so as a as a community manager I, I work on the marketing team and there is you know there there is some some value to the thought process uh, put into a marketing plan like like I can't speak for huge companies 
but there are times when you ha- you do have to think about what is going to be the the social um you know the social impact of this thing that I'm doing um like when I'm when I'm doing social posts for our, for our company I do have to think sometimes about the about the um uh you know the what how how is this going to affect a group of people like is somebody going to get so mad that they're going to go out and they're going to hurt someone because of it? Um, and that's just the the culture of gaming in general. Um, but in terms of in in terms of, uh, I, I do agree that if you think that somebody that a brand is your best friend on the internet, then there is you know that's that's where marketing and and social media. It's starting to psychologically hurt people a little bit, and that's kind of my two cents on, on everything. But you are a community manager. I, I assure you, I don't think that you are pushing people out of the community because you think it would be the best for them. I mean, in terms of, like, designing games in order not to be addictive and not to incentivize people to spend more money on them, I don't know very many developers other than Nintendo who somehow have the formula right to, like, try to dissuade that. And I have no idea how. Somehow they design their games to be really enjoyable in 15 to 45 minute chunks and then incentivize you to do it. And that's stated from them. And I I don't know, some kind of juju in the background. But if you told your marketing team or the studios you represent, hey, guys, I was worried that people were spending way too much time associated with your brand as a social interaction. And so I, I kicked them out of the discord or something like that. You wouldn't be hired by them in the future, would you? It's no, you to keep them there. You want the numbers to be bigger. Yeah, it's it's well. So there is there is something to be said about quality versus quantity, but um, for all things, but no, I do agree with you. If if unless they unless they're showing signs of physical violence or or like outright mania. Then no, as a as a community manager, there's usually not a reason to kick them out of the Discord or the social media page or whatever we're running. And look, I, I think you have to though. You you're both. I mean, you're not wrong by saying that. Uh, 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 Thank um, you. Thank you for joining us for Real of Professionals. It's no, been great talking <laughs> with you. No, I'm saying is that you're not wrong in saying that a board of directors is gonna you know want to increase profits the most. But like, where has that led us? as a society we have for-profit fucking prisons like this is how our society is run and yet at a certain point you have to go this is how we want things to go i don't i my wheelhouse is you you give me like i don't know a set of rules and i'll try to make an interaction out of them i'm not running for a state representative i'm i'm not like hey all i'm saying is that if bernie sanders is president there would be an allotment of you have to buy 10 indie games a year, and you could get yourself on that ballot, man. That's true. And you that, that would be the socialist utopia in which we could all live. I, I don't know whether or not we should or should not have have laws against marketing stuff or, or things like that. I'm sure there's very smart people who would be able to answer that other than me. I'm not smart enough at that angle. I would just caution to say that like it's it's probably not – uh, the the reason why global warming or the migration crisis or automation is is a serious problem for all of humanity. I don't think any of those either have a solution where banning interactive experiences for marketing materials is going to be the solution. Obviously not for 
climate change, but you know, you can see the parallels between like how the market that led to climate change is and how the, you know, the advertising campaigns and the market that video games are in are similar. They're not having the same outcome, obviously. Yeah. But I don't the, know about that either. Look, climate change is a serious issue. You should read the science up to it. But I don't think that the reason behind it was because YouTube videos showed you how fun the new Call of Duty was. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that. None of us are saying well, that. But actually, the number two producer of methane outside of Calfarts is Gamer Ass. Yeah, <laughs> and that that fills in with the problem of Wendy's. Of Wendy's. Shit, you're right. Thank you for joining us for the Wheel Professional Podcast. Ted is right. I think I think all that we've that has come out of this is the conclusion that we can all agree with: the Unabomber was right. And technology should not exist. Oh, God. And no. uh, we should all go back to being cavemen because that's the only way we can. We de- that's how we deserve to live. Hey, if I, I wanted to develop on stones and rocks, then I would uh, go to Stadia. Am I right? Hey, ah, take that, yeah. Google open source development platform. Yeah, Zing. I'm grateful for technology because I never had to develop any real skills, which is nice. Uh, anyways. Um, so what games are you guys playing? several months so we're all very chill now half gram of soma for your you weekend. know the crazy thing is is that after all those blunts wendy's sounds like a much better uh, much better plan so uh i think that we just need to legalize it everywhere uh we are here with uh eric schrader of uh rockfish games here to talk to us. yeah hey here to talk to us about everspace 2 what's up man uh, nothing too much i'm excited to be here um let's get to it yeah, so uh, for all those people out here that are listening right now, uh, you can check out the Kickstarter video for Everspace 2. They just uh, launched the Kickstarter for it, which there are several questions I have about that. But um, it's pretty cool. The, 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 the video for the Kickstarter was very elaborate in explaining the milestones, goalposts, why they're going with Kickstarter and stuff. I would highly recommend watching it um, and watch it on uh, dreadxp.com because that's how I get paid is when you uh, – Visit my website. So, um, first off, why don't you? Um, you have a kind of an interesting title. You are community ambassador and game designer. You're, you kind of have an interesting. You said that you wear a lot of hats. So, why don't you I just you what you do? Yes, absolutely. So, as um, as a community ambassador, basically what that means is that I mean I'm interacting with the community, right? I'm I'm chilling with you guys, just being in long conversations. I'm diving into streams and seeing how players are interacting with the game, and I'm bringing that forward to the developers. Um, I'm also a game design consultant, and what that means is that I basically play way too many video games, and based on my experiences, I can present them to the developers and say, hey, these are great mechanics, these suck, avoid these please, and then I'm also a quality assurance tester to ensure that those mechanics that are being added are working as intended. Okay, so what what does a day look like in that job? Oh, God. Um, 
It's it's madness. I actually have a browser um, that I pull up that has like 20 different tabs on it, and I start from the left and I work my way right uh, to go through tons of various um, sites online where people are chatting about the game and interacting with folks. Um, the first one, of course, is my email, and that that's a story in and of itself. But I'm I'm hitting sites like Reddit. I'm actually been on Reddit with you guys who are doing the first part of the podcast, answering some questions. Um, I head over to Twitter, Twitch, anyone who's playing our games. Um, Discord is a really big one. Uh, it just it just goes on and on. Where I'm just like basically poking in and making sure people are getting responses. Uh, we want to be very transparent and very approachable with the community this time around. So. Yeah, yeah, and um, you actually got involved with the studio as a member of the community, right? Yeah, that's right. You want to give us a rundown of how that all went down? Okay. Um, so the quick rundown is basically when Everspace 1 was in a Kickstarter format, um, I read the description. Uh, the, the long and the short of it is that it was like combining FTL, Freelancer, and Rogue Legacy together. And those are three games that I'm very passionate about. I dove into the Kickstarter. And I didn't actually like where the game was going. Uh, I got a little upset, and I was very vocal online. Not in a negative way, very positive, uplifting. And the developers kind of fell in love with some of these concepts I was throwing at them, and eventually they asked me to join the team. Yeah, that's a, that's that's actually uh, how I met Jesse, is that he was like, Ted, I'm such a big fan of yours. I've read all your articles <laughs> for seven years. I would love to be a part of uh, your podcast team. And uh, basically, I needed a place to store my equipment so the cat wouldn't eat it. And uh, that's that's and the rest, and that's how Real Professional got started. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jesse? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I... <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Anyways, um... But yeah, you know, this is it's actually pretty interesting because um, if you watch the Kickstarter for Everspace Two, uh, you're in there, by the way. You're you're the the guy that uh, suspiciously doesn't sound uh, European, and uh, <laughs> you 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 mention you know what the the goals of the team are. But one of the things that they're talking about in the Everspace Two Kickstarter is. You know, why are we using Kickstarter again? We're not in the age where like new Kickstarters are like really happening that much anymore. We're kind of in the more of the age where the failed Kickstarter project never like sees the light of day. So many open world crafting survival RPGs that were promised have like never, never come out. I think Don't Starve is the only one that like got out of Kickstarter. But um, yeah, so one of the things you said in the video was that you wanted the, the Rockfish games wanted to engage the community. And you're kind of a product of that. Not only are you now, you know, a member of that community engagement, you're you're a product of that community engagement that kind of embodied the first game. Absolutely, yeah, it's incredibly important. It's it's how, especially indie games, how they thrive. If you do not engage with your community, if you're not if you're not checking in on the people who are supporting you, you will fail. It's it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely believe that um so you know for for other people out there that are so how did you how did you do it you know like that's like the kind of the the overall question of this podcast is like how do people get to where they are in the industry and i know that you're you're you have a rather unorthodox experience with it so a lot of people that are on forums you know being negative in a quote-unquote positive way are not being quote-unquote positive about it 
Um, how would you suggest that people that are trying to engage with developers and other members of the community do so in a positive, productive way? Well, I think that it, it comes in a variety of forms, to be honest. In fact, uh, in some of those regards, being toxic and being a troll can actually get you into specific roles. Um, sometimes developers really appreciate people who have those really stark opinions and are really passionate about it. Um, like for myself, uh, my really, really long story is basically when my mom would tell me to stop playing video games, I didn't listen to her, and I just played way too many in my life, okay? And, and so I followed all these different games that were coming out through the course of 20 years of my life, and I would just dive in and try to have a conversation with a developer, whether it was like through a forum. It was mostly through forums because there wasn't a lot of more social elements uh, yet through that course of time. But um, it was really just trying to engage. It was really just trying to say, hey, I have an opinion and you need to hear it. <laughs> hmm. um, and really, like it was, it was a lot of refining that process and what that looked like that I think really got me my way in to the industry about two years ago. Well, I guess it's a little bit longer than that. Three years? Four, four years? Whatever. A couple of years ago. Um, and, um, yeah, that's... It, it sounds really simple, but that's kind of what happened. It's just evaluating myself in the context of my conversations to push myself forward. So you had to, like, actually critically analyze yourself and your opinions? Yeah, so, like, as I'm critically analyzing games, I'm critically analyzing myself in the process. I feel like that that's the... And I'm not trying to be, I mean, I'm, I'm being serious here. I'm not trying to be overly negative. I feel like that's where a lot of people uh, miss the bus is that they, they have all these opinions on things, but they can't critically analyze why, where their opinions come from and how to best uh, put those out into the world without alienating the very people that they're trying to make take notice of them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, one of the most simple like fundamental elements of criticism is showing some time of some type of workaround or solution to the problem that you're complaining about. And like nine times out of 10, somebody who's complaining does not offer a solution. So that negative criticism, quote unquote, actually doesn't even matter. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you look at a, a, a discussion forum for, for a MOBA, what's a, what's a MOBA, like Dota 2, someone's gonna say, I don't know, what's a character in Dota 2 that's OP, Remy? That's overpowered? Yeah. Uh, oh my god, someone's gonna be on the forum and be like, Lich OP. <laughs> and it's gonna be like, why is Lich OP? Like, what should we do about Lich being OP? And then the person's comment's gonna be like, anyone that plays Lich should kill themselves. And you're like, okay, well, good constructive criticism. Right. You know, it's like, that's the kind of toxic culture. Like, someone can identify that they don't like something, but they can't come up with a positive solution, you know? Right. And I think it's also because we live in this culture, just kind of wrapping around with some of the concepts you guys were talking about before this in like uh, using Wendy's as an example, um, <laughs> where it's all about these, these this trend setting. Right. It's drawing so much attention. It's trollish. It's controversial. So everybody starts talking about it. And we see these examples out there floating about. And as gamers, we want to like. We want to be that too, right? So like we want to dive in. We kind of want to troll the developers. We want to show them like what's up so that we can get attention and be noticed. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a lot of that. And especially indie games, they've got like a, a lot of like focus for that. I mean, uh, plenty of top 10 compilations of the the worst indie games of this year or some shit like that. Oh, God. I, yeah. I, there's, there's just a lot of like pressure because... Market forces dictate that a lot of people do want to like kick people when they're down. Uh, 
And, and I think that's tough. I mean, how do you deal with people who, like you came in, you had constructive criticism, you yep. were a community manager, you were the person who's trying to grow this, this wonderful garden and like weed it of anything that's gonna be harmful for everyone else. How do you do that while also making sure that there isn't some sort of or uproar about, oh my God, they're they're banning me. This is an affront to freedom of speech. I should come <laughs> in and be able to to talk about how race relations are should be in in this <laughs> specific indie games Discord, uh, or or just like not like uh, losing your own sanity. I mean, the amount of toxic stuff you think about people who have to like curate Twitters or something like that. You're reading, you know, two thousand pages worth of just infantile insults every day. How does that not affect you? Well, I think um, I think a lot of it comes down to practice um, and just kind of like where where your experience comes from. Um, I know it's kind of a non-answer, but like as an example, um, a lot of the times whenever I'm diving into our community posts, whatnot, whether especially Reddit, because Reddit can be really hot and heavy sometimes, like every single voice is important. Every single one, like even the ones that are incredibly toxic, instead of just like outright banning them, like we try to have a conversation there because there's a reason why they chose to be toxic in the first place. And we want to make sure that we are not cultivating an area on all, online to create more of these types of toxic gamers. So we're going to that route and we're saying, hey, what's up? Let's have a discussion. Why are you so upset about this? Is it something that we did? Is it something that's going on in your life? Like we can we can get personal about it, uh, gently, of course. You don't want to get too crazy with that stuff. But it's just a matter of like meeting people with where they're at, so that we can both become better for it. Yeah, Christine, you're a community manager. What do you think about all this? Yeah, do you disagree entirely with our guest? Do you want to <laughs> slow down right now? Um. It I mean, every company is different. Um, the way that the, the the best practices and and ways of handling people are different across every single different community. Um, that being said, I really do like that uh, idea of delving into you know the personal stuff with your audience, and and that's admirable. But sometimes that can become uh, dangerous a little bit, especially if you're a community manager who's a little more public or not public. Um, so it really depends on a what your what your you know kind of uh, social media presence is, um, and if that will affect you or your affect your company, but also just the practices of the company itself. So I do I do um, it, I, everything's situational, you know, um, but. I don't know. I could be wrong. No, I think I think you make a really good point there. I mean, it really does depend, especially not only does it depend on the company itself, it also depends on the community that is formulating around that company. Sometimes you have to think on the fly and figure out how to approach it because it might not be what you were expecting. So you're absolutely right. Right, like I, I just posted a post the other day that I thought was gonna be, you know, I thought the community was gonna enjoy, but it completely turned back on me. Um, and people instead were kind of irate about it. Um, so I had to look and see what was the steps I took to make that post and why were people so uh, upset about it? Um, and then reaching out to you know individual individual members of the community and seeing why that why this particular thing made them upset and how we could uh, fix it and focus on those points in the future. So 
you know, sometimes uh, every day is different for community managers, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I think um, regardless of how things go, like whether it's a high or whether it's a low, um, oh God, that rhymed. Oh, goodness gravy. Yeah. But um, like, I think it's really important for us to always stand our ground, especially when you have one of those really bad days where it seems like everybody is teaming up against you. And I think that's actually where some of the best community managers shine in showing that, that they can take that situation and find a way to turn it around in a positive light without getting way too apologetic or like, you know, whatever you want to call it uh, with their community. They say, hey guys, look, this is what we did. This is what we're doing. Let's talk about this, whether that means in a, in a whole state or in a partial state, and move forward from it. You have an, an example you can show about that? Any, any time that you really had to think of a hard solution for a hard problem? Yes. Um, oh, my gosh. So this was actually back with Everspace One when my boss, Michael, uh, he had an interview. I can't remember with who it was. The important thing is the title of the article where it said that the, the devs uh, paid a lot of money for a, a guy who played like a fucking moron is, is the quote of the title. I'm sure that you could look it up and find it. And um, basically that's going to draw a lot of attention. A lot of people who support the game are gonna needlessly support us regardless of reading the article or not. And there's going to be a lot of people who needlessly are against us because of the language that's used or maybe we're talking about their favorite streamer, etc. So what uh, I had to do was kind of like dive in. This was actually, I was actually not quite community manager at that point in time. I was actually just a forum moderator. So even even more tasty at the time. But um, my goal of, of diving into that was just like trying to help people understand the full narrative of that article and then redirect. And a lot of that redirecting was really kind of taking one for the team and saying, hey, look, my boss said these things in this context because it was a very hot and heavy interview, and it was also a time when our finances were in great peril as well. Um, this is in a time where Everspace was, the only reason that it was funded was actually through the Kickstarter. It would not exist without the support we received from our community, and we spent a lot of money, 10,000 euros, in fact, on a specific streamer um, through an agency, and and the stream was basically counterintuitive. It was, it, it just, it didn't work well for us. It didn't work well for the streamer. Everybody lost. Everybody lost. And it was like, okay, how do we turn this around? Let's just start talking and explain what's going on. Like the way that we had to resolve it, for example, was just like, it was, it was addressing people's very harsh questions about it. And there were so many accusations in that exchange. It was just absurd. And then it was, it was also absurd with community uh, members, just community fans, just wildly supporting us, like, oh yeah, that's awesome, stick it to them. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Tiptoeing a little bit through the comments, just making sure that we are, um, after the, the fact of the interview, we're making all of the right statements. And when I say right, I mean the ones that are giving us the, the accurate story, as well as the most information that people are desiring to know. Nope. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, that was a lot. Sorry. Unpack it now. <laughs> well, there's a lot to unpack there in the statement, and I think that a lot of it has to deal with the implicit toxicity of 
gaming culture. And I, I don't think that all, all I mean, I'm, of course, I'm not going to be so stupid as to say all gamers are toxic. But um, I will. Like you, do have, <laughs> you do have very strong passions about a, a product. And people often forget that the, the people creating that product are also people that have, you know, ideas, opinions, motivations, foibles and flaws. And, uh, you know, they, 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 it's, it's easy to become part of this mentality of, yeah, stick it to that guy. I fucking hate him. But like people invest so much emotion into hating someone that they, they fundamentally like don't know, you know, yeah. and, and to have an opinion on a product that they fundamentally, that isn't theirs and they, but they take ownership of it in a way. But I think there is, as, as you are an example of a positive way to take ownership of something that you care about and become a member of it in a positive way. It's just, you know, it's difficult because you have to curtail perhaps some of your more reflexive passions is how I put it. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I, I also want to put emphasis. Um, it's not always, it's not always in the most positive way either. Sometimes it's just in the most honest way, which, you know, again, this is this is one of those things that it's going to depend on the company and also depend on the context of the situation. Um, but especially in that one, it was making sure that people understood what that conversation was about, because uh, it could get really easily lost in context to, and simplified to just like, oh, these developers hate this streamer. Oh, so if you like the streamer, you should hate those devs. It's like, um, no. <laughs> um, and just and just helping people understand. That was that's the big key in all of it. Yeah, if you want to understand the complexities of parasocial relationships online with video game culture, read Jesse's Borderlands Three review now available on Dread XP. It's on our front page. There's a deep dive into the parasocial relationships of raiders. That was a great segue. Good plug. Um, I have a question. What's your favorite dinosaur? You're, you know, I actually really like the giraffe titan. Same. I'm not going to pretend to know what that is. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's basically a bigger brontosaurus. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all the questions I got. I'm not too familiar with the community organizing. Um, I, I actually have a question. So you, you said, uh, you know, as many of us community managers do, we kind of end up in our positions in more unorthodox ways than traditional traditional um, jobs do. What was kind of some of your background for even, you know, you said you had played a lot of video games and you had spoken to the developers and that's how you kind of ended up with this, but did you have any other um, experiences in the video game industry before this, um, either as a fan or just uh, working that brought you, um, that helps you in your day to day? This is a great question, and yes, I did actually. Um, so I was I was a really big Blizzard dork, um, and like in my youth especially. And the second that like they started opening up betas that you could like get a free key for or even buy into, I was all over that. And I wanted to I, I splurged on the forums, and I think a lot of those moments where I was trying to compose the perfect message that the developers would see, and I would glow in the limelight for a day even. Um, I, I had to practice 
a lot of different components of how to bridge that gap between just like uh, just some random guy in the forums versus a person who really knows what he's talking about when it comes to these various mechanics and gameplay features that I'm trying to address. Um, and through the course of, of all of that, um, I also had, um, I also, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is really just like having played like a, a ton of games. Like I'm, I am not joking. Like I've been playing video games since I was 10 years old. I was that guy in school, way back in middle school, when all your friends were saying like, oh yeah, did you check out this game? Yeah, man, it's so cool. Oh yeah, did you like it? I thought it was so cool too. I was the kid who was like, but why is it cool? What makes it cool? Why is it fun? Like, I wanted to know those details, and nobody was talking about them. <laughs> and so I spent like way too much time playing games and analyzing them, because I wanted to find something that was really good, not just something that was subjectively good if that makes sense mm -hmm. so all of that really built me up into the realm where i'm at today when um you know when i dove into that kickstarter started plugging away comments uh, that i had refined through my experiences and other betas and whatnot and start having a a true discussion about how we can make games better great and just a, just a follow-up to a statement you had made before. You said you you also mentioned that you uh, work in QA as well for this company? I do, yes. That was where I kind of started at first, especially because it was a Kickstarter. It was, a, it was the beta of Everspace, in fact, where I was throwing out a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to um, to any community manager or, or somebody in, in some kind of marketing role who are looking to move over into a more production role, do you think working in QA is something that um, was valuable to you as a community manager, or do you think it would be more of a path for a production side? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I think that they're kind of two separate territories. Um, I think that my, I, I think that it takes a very focused and a very patient mindset in order to do quality assurance testing, like there is, there are so many details that are incredibly redundant uh, and painstakingly long to undertake in order to get everything fine-tuned where they need to be, trying to capture all your repro steps and then bringing forth like these very massive uh, spreadsheets basically to the developer saying, okay, I found it. This is, this is what we need to fix. Like that is, it's, it's, it is so detail-oriented, um, and that's not to say that, you know, in community management that there isn't that patience that is needed, that there isn't that focus that's needed, but rather the interaction with people versus your interaction with a product, that's, that, that's the variable that you can't really cross over, because one thing it's refining and tweaking, and the other thing is engaging and listening. Okay, so you so you do both in your daily job. How do so you say there's there's no crossover there, um, but you you do both jobs. So yes. how does that how does that uh, transfer over? Yeah, so I, I take a portion of my day to be the community community ambassador. Put my cap on. And I dive into Discord. I'm having general conversation. Things aren't too hot and heavy with Everspace 2 right now since we're just in a Kickstarter phase. So I can have a lot of fun with that. I can mess with people in the community and just have a generally good time. Um, now, because I do serve the role as a game design consultant and I'm on the development team, um, that also means we'll have certain packages of new content 
that we're just looking to refine and tweak. Like, for example, we have a, a demonstration build, obviously, that we sent to conventions. People have been playing that. We spent a lot of time making sure that the content within that was something that people wanted to see, something that was unique, that made us stand out a little bit more than other games that are coming out right now, and something that people can really start looking forward to. So it's not like fine-tuned or balanced, I wouldn't say, but we had to take a lot of time to ensure that the quality of that product was something that was desirable. Great. Anybody else? Yeah, what's what's the future for a community manager? What's what what new innovations in social media in engaging consumers uh, do you have ideas about? Are you looking forward to? Are you thinking is right around the corner? What's what's the trade secrets that you think is going to be plopping down that you're going to be excited to rush for? Man, I have never heard that question asked. That is beautiful. I think that there's there are there are incredible opportunities. For community managers right now, since you know, I even I even started this entire interview saying like it is so integral for especially independent studios to like bridge that gap, that the 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 conversation between gamer and developer. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to die. Like that's like that will happen if you don't establish that. Um, so I know that there's a lot of opportunities to get into the field if you're active members of a community, and also with where it's moving towards, I would say that. There's so many elements of taking and appreciating what community members are doing to transform yourself as a community manager or an ambassador, whatever, um, into something that's far more serious in a role of game development. Um, personally, I'm taking a lot of these elements that I've been basically digesting and, and pushing out from whether it's like community feedback and support or uh, my personal game design consultation into the direction of a game designer. Like I really want to establish myself as a developer someday. Um, and the best way that I can do that is by soaking in as much feedback as possible from a community in my role as a community manager. Oh my gosh, this answer is getting so long. Goodness gravy. But, um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the marketing side of things as well because again as a community manager and ambassador and maintaining those conversations like you can take that and shape it into so much more regarding you know all of your pr relations all of your twitter and twitches and, and reddits you know whatever um to really cultivate something that is a powerful voice for a company for people to be authentic with and to be open with and to see Honesty and transparency coming from. Awesome. Uh, just to, do you mind if I if I kind of piggyback off that? Uh, do question? it. Um, so, on the on the flip side of that, about being excited about uh, you know future platforms that you can communicate with, do you think it's it's important for companies not to be on every single platform if they don't need to, or what is the kind of like, what is the uh, detriment to them um, in doing something like that? So say you're you're a plat you're a company, and you're on Twitter and Facebook, but you're not on Reddit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
do you think that more helps or hurts, or does it, is it dependent on the company? Yeah, that's, it's definitely going to be dependent on the company. I know that for Everspace One, we could do our we, like we had a fine-tuned focus on communities in Facebook, which was really large. We had kind of a smallerish one on Reddit, um, and we didn't really even have a Discord at all. Like it was completely non-existent. Um, and so, like one of the best ways that we interacted was actually through our own public forum on our website. Um, so if you'd backed us, you had like a role on there and then we could engage you all that type of stuff. And then it was looking at Facebook among all things. We didn't, we didn't have a Twitch account. Um, we had a really small YouTube channel. It's still there. Um, and so it, it just wasn't a lot, but as we've grown, um, because of, again, because of the support of Everspace one, like that's why we exist now, since we have so many more voices that are important to us, and we are striving at Rockfish Games to bridge that gap and really listen in on what the community has to say about our product, we have to reach out to more of these areas that, um, that voices are coming from. So for us, it's a natural choice to start picking and, and finding where people are utilizing the most social elements and engaging with that. I have a real, um, have a real question uh, this time. Not a bullshit question. Okay. Um, so my question is, so you're the mediator between the community and the developers. You got to, um, you know, be the, uh, you know, the Oracle that gives the will of the community. Like, you know, when they, when they pray for rain, you got to tell the gods that they need rain. Um, so have there, has there ever been a time where the community asked for something that was like ridiculous or unfeasible or re like required like a complete overhaul of the game? And how do you, how do you go about telling a community of people that they're morons or not morons? Um, that sounds mean, uh, that they're wrong. I, I think the, the big thing, um, and I'm going to start sounding like a broken record. It's basically showing them why we can or can't do that thing that they're addressing. Because um, transparency is so important for us. It's just saying, like, so many people have said, man, are you guys doing multiplayer? This game would be so killer in a multiplayer format. And, you know, we don't disagree. Like, we think that multiplayer would be awesome. But the fact of the matter is most gamers, not all gamers, but most gamers don't actually understand how much of a process it is to develop a multiplayer title or even tack on multiplayer to a single player title. That is a very expensive, very taxing, very long uh, extension to a development well, cycle. It, just go into Unity and you've got the, the toggle multiplayer on. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. That, uh, that kind of reminds me of, like, when uh, for LucasArts, like, they, like, George Lucas loved to be a part of it, but he didn't understand games, so, like... Like, a couple times per development, he'd, like, go into the studio and be like, hey, uh, here's an idea for the game. Why don't you uh, just add this little mechanic? And it's like, yeah. you can't say no to him, so they would have to rebuild the game, like, three or four times in development, and that's why some of them uh, kind of suck. Yeah, and you know, and, and I know that I talked about QA and game design consultation and then also community management, all is kind of, like, the, a little bit separate things, but I think this is where I actually... I think I have a little bit of an edge here whenever individuals are talking about game mechanics, whether they're fundamental or a little bit advanced, I'm able to meet them in the community and ex give them an, an absolutely solid and transparent technical reason why that just can't reach fruition. 
Um, that's not going to apply to every community manager, uh, but I think having that gaming backdrop, you know, even though they're two sides of, the, of, of different coins, goodness, that, that phrase came out wrong, but like even though they're two different things, I think there's still a way to utilize one into the other to help bridge that gap a little bit further. No, I definitely agree with you on that because we've, even in our office, we've actually moved the QA team and the community team closer to each other. Oh, so I that love the, that. So that the exchange of ideas is a lot more fluid. Yes. Oh, yes. I hope more developers do that. That is a great call. Yeah. And and so, like, if I have a question that, you know, the, maybe the developer, not that the developer won't know, but that the QA person maybe has a deeper understanding of because they've tested that over and over and over and again. Um, it's kind of interesting to hear their their response from something like, oh, this bug acted this way or this did this and now we fixed it. Like they have that immediate information because they spend like eight hours or how many ever hours a day with that product. Yes, absolutely. Talking about sort of like the market of uh, uh, community management and everything like that, do you think that there are market forces that do drive consumers towards toxicity and negativity? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, probably not intentionally. <laughs> At least I would hope not. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we can, uh, like, I think that community managers can get, get, get to be a little bit too, um, I'm going to use the word corporate, they, they think that everything has to be really cut and dry, really super professional, right? It has to be like, you know, have to cross every T, dot every I sort of thing and kind of have like those really broad strokes of thank you for your general feedback. Your your opinion is invaluable to us, but there's, there's, there's like no representation that that's true, right? Um, so I think that, I think this is actually why Personally, I really do try to invest in the community on a more personal level just because, like, I do really care about that person on the other side and that opinion, so I have to show them that. Like, it's so imperative to do that because if we don't care about it or rather we don't show that we care about it, then we can easily, easily build a toxic community. It's, it's crazy what, what gamers are, are seeking for and being entitled about. Um, but, man, I mean, I think it's just important for us as developers to really talk about what our vision is, why we're taking the actions we're doing, and then if people have questions or arguments about that, to at least engage in discussion. And if it's not something that's discussion-worthy, like if it's a complaint, for example, if somebody's whining, you know, that's that's usually stuff that you just kind of pass by and you go to the significant side of things instead. So... <laughs> Uh, Christy, do you have any final questions? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm all questioned out. I think that uh, after this, I'm going to go uh, see the new Joker movie and slowly lose my mind, so that'll be fun. Excellent. Oh, I, I do have one thing that I wanted to talk about very, very briefly. Okay, um, so we'll wait, give, it, give it a second so we can cut to this. Oh, okay, sure. All right, go. All right, so um, the, the last little thing that I wanted to talk about I know that you spoke a little bit about microtransactions and you said you weren't going to do it. Oh my gosh, I'm bringing it up again. I know. Um, Let's get into it. But but no, I wanted to just state where Rockfish Games' stance is at with microtransactions. I don't know if you guys know the full story, like the full gambit of where we came from and where we're at right now. So um, are you guys familiar with Galaxy on Fire, that series at all? Yes. Okay. So we existed as Fish Labs like Michael and Christian, like they, they, they created 
Galaxy and Aspire franchise, um, Hans Christian was like the developer who coded it. Um, we also made Galaxy and Aspire 2 under Fish Labs. And then after that, there was an aggressive takeover of the company by the publisher. And they were like, you're going to do a free-to-play model. And Christian and Michael were like, no, we're not. And they were like, yes, you are. And they said no. And they got fired. Um, so, <laughs> so we lost our IP. We lost our company. And obviously, we lost all the funding that we had. Uh, when we left Fish Labs, uh, Michael, that, that sneaky bastard, he ended up purchasing key members that were at Fish Labs, reacquired them, and we formed Rockfish Games, moved from the mobile market over to PC and console, and we have every single time addressed microtransactions is something that we are never doing. It is not within our mantras. It's not within, it's just, it's not us. Like, we got fired for saying no, and we are always moving forward into platforms that are just a premium model. You pay once, you play forever. Yeah, well, uh, you know, if you had those sweet, sweet microtransactions, you wouldn't need to be on Kickstarter, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Can I actually ask one more question? Yeah, do it. Yes. Um, so, as a as a community manager, you you know you deal with a lot of complaints. You deal with a lot of aggression from a day to day basis. What's something that you do at the at the end end of the day on on your off time to kind of combat that and your own mental stress and like make sure you're you're staying uh, you know sane and mentally healthy um, throughout you know throughout the week. Because we all we all deal with crash and burn by the end of the week sometimes when dealing with communities. Um, so what's kind of the way that you combat that? Not that Christine has any experience with this, because her her community is bright. Now, mine's mine's the you know the shining example that everyone should follow in the world. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I probably have like a little bit of a cop out response, um, but I am I am very much a family man. I am married and I have four children. I'm crazy, I know. But I spend my time with my wife and with my kids to decompress and just have a really good time, see them grow up before me. It's it's a really peace-giving situation that I'm able to just be. Um, that's really how I kind of decompress wow. so that I can prepare myself for the next day, move into it, and address the angry nerds. Weirdo. Final question. Sophie's choice. Which of your kids would you like keep as the one to keep? Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> Is it sad that I immediately thought of one? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're prepared. That's all. Yeah, you've got to be ready. Um, uh, so, uh, follow-up question to that. You live in Kansas, right? I do. Land of uh, the house. What's your artisanal coffee shop to Starbucks ratio of the real America? <laughs> it's, it's crazy, actually. Starbucks is kind of, like, hated here. Um, the artisanal places, we have a, a place called Black Dog off of off of 87th Street. If you're ever in the in the Lenexa area of Kansas City, definitely give it a whirl. It's quite quite a delight. Um, but yeah, I would say that uh, yeah, I would say it's pretty prominently pretty prominently strong. So yeah. Wait wait wait. So we live where? So yeah. So it's there's a, a little coffee place called Black Dog Coffee House off of 87th Street in Lenexa. Where's Lenexa? Um. I mean, 87th Street and, like, Flum about... Well, I, don't, like, I don't know where Kansas, like, is. I was in, oh, oh. I was in Wichita once. Okay, yeah. Where so, were like, you in relation to Wichita? Yeah, okay, so, <laughs> south. Uh, so, 
So like Kansas City, like it's it's really just a really large small town, right? So like you have all of these towns that compose of the Kansas City area that are just really stretched out because there's like no big big tall structures until you get into like the thick of Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri, which that that's a can of worms in and of So Lenexa is is a suburb essentially of Kansas City, um, so that you can kind of have your space without having to deal with like inner city pressure, I guess, um, but still be very close to the city for that nightlife and any of your shenanigans that you would like to participate in. So there's the Kansas City in Kansas, because I thought yeah. Kansas City was in somewhere else. <laughs> I'm no, not kidding. Is it Kansas City in like Utah or something? No, no, Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. Like it's basically, like, when Kansas okay. City was, was a young lad and it was growing, I mean, there was, borders, you know, kind of up in the air, right? And so city just kept growing. Uh, bridges were built across the river. And, um, you know, then all of a sudden, oh, we're, we're in Missouri now. And so then, of course, lawmakers had to come in and be like, okay, well, we have to define ourselves for Missouri's sake to be different from Kansas City. And, you know, you have all these, like, yeah. conflicts and whatever. But, I mean, for the most part, it's the same city. Some of the laws are, are, are a little... A little different, but it's 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 really not too bad. It's yeah. Okay, so I just you said it's south, but I just I have a very reliable source of Google Maps that says south of Kansas is Oklahoma. Oh. What do you have to say about that? Wait a second. Well, no, no, you went too far south. <laughs> okay. okay, you're not getting out of this one, Eric. <laughs> this, down. this is my gotcha journalism. So my, my, experience, my experience with Kansas was that I was driving to Minnesota uh, because I used to be the kind of man that would drive across country for a lady uh, when I was in love. And I drove through Kansas. I stayed a night in Wichita, and there was a Bernie Sanders rally happening then. And, uh, like, Wichita is this weird little liberal community in, in Kansas. And uh, they had, like, all these microbreweries opening up, and I felt like I was back in Berkeley. All these dudes wearing tuxedo jackets and suspenders and mini jorts were great. Like, that's one guy wearing all those things. <laughs> and uh, Wichita was fun. Yeah, so my, my I give Wichita four out of five. Uh, I would definitely go back. That's some pretty good pizza. Uh, the rest of Kansas was very flat. Uh, we went to the highest, there's like the, the highest part in Kansas, like the, 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 the tip, what is it? There's like a, there's like a hill. This Kansas is flat. Are you the flat one or is that Nebraska? I can't remember. No, a, I mean, we're both kind of flat, to be honest. It's, I mean, it's the Midwest. Everything's flat. Yeah, that's true. That, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. And also I, I actually, on the, on the down low, I actually Googled, uh, a map of Kansas because I wanted to see for sure. I did actually lie. It's uh, so <laughs> Wichita is a bit more south. I would be northeast of Wichita. Yeah. The truth comes out. The truth out. comes out. Yeah. Thanks, Ted, for doing the deep journalistic dive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wichita, Kansas. Solved Eric Gate right now. Yeah. The funny yes. thing, I was about to text my friend who lives in Wichita and be like, is there anything south of here? This, this is the most pressing <laughs> issue on the I don't remember much else. I was, I was incredibly drunk when I was in Wichita. That was, it was a fun city. This is going to be remembered by journalists 
Well, the fun thing is, is Brock's that, Nixon interview, the Ted Eric interview. Yeah, because it's incredibly flat. If you do get drunk in Wichita, you can still make it all the way to like you know Ohio without much Iowa, whatever, whatever, whichever one. There's a lot of states; none of them matter. For a long time, the uh, the legal age of drinking in Kansas was like 16. So that's a good ad for Kansas. <laughs> Christine, what state do you come from again? Is it a real one or one of the fake ones? New York. What? New York. Oh, that's a real state. That's that's fair. I mean. If you want to get technical, Arizona, but <laughs> New York. Fake. Fake. This dude's fuck. <laughs> Canada, they have states called provinces, but no one knows what they're talking about. Like, all my Canadian contacts are like, oh, I'm over here in uh, Ontario. And I'm like, where's that? Which one's that? Just tell me your time zone. This is good real. Just call it, like, <laughs> North Minnesota. <laughs> we're just we're just secretly moonlighting as a gaming podcast. We're really all about geography here, you know? <laughs> Oh, I'm in trouble. I didn't do so hot in my history classes. <laughs> so I still want to drive to Alaska at some point. <laughs> so when I when I used to be a bouncer back in, in the days when I, I was uh, so drunk I couldn't feel it if people were punching me, I uh, I wanted that I, did, I knew a dude that did four wheeling and he used to drive up to Alaska through Canada and he was like, yeah, it's super dope, but you don't want to get like stuck in uh when like like sometimes their roads just like stop because like water happens. He's like, don't, don't let that happen. And I was like, that sounds nice. You know, it's funny because uh, before I went to Phoenix, my other option was I actually had a job lined up in an Alaskan oil rig that I was going to go do. So I could be cool right now, but unfortunately, I'm doing a video game podcast instead. Really, it was like, do I want to do I want to go work on an oil rig or crab fishing, or do I want to be a podcaster? Like most people make that decision at some point in their life. Anyways. Thanks for joining us on Real Professionals. Anyways, guys, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> Today is going to be the day that something, I don't know, I don't know. Christine, you don't know the words to Wonderwall, right? Oh, no. Really? Yeah. That's like just part of being like a, like, a, like a soulful person, is that you knew all the lyrics to Wonderwall. I don't have a soul, so it's pretty hard. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the words to Wonderwall, so I think we're both screwed. I know all the words to Baby Got Back. I can do that. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Is that how we're closing out this podcast? Somebody's paid me to confess this, and I've kept it under wraps for all these years because I knew that no one would believe me. No one would.